Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Something made me think about a strange experience that I had years ago in a church located in Wales. Strange how the mind and memory work sometimes. I don't even recall why the memory lodged in my subconscious only to surface again on this particular occasion. Something obviously triggered the memory. I had been traveling around Wales on the occasion that I described this morning, taking photographs of interesting subjects and places. Well, we came upon a large old church, perhaps I should even say a cathedral. It was large and impressive with its towers and steeples and boulders. There was no services being conducted at this particular time, but as is true of the, many of these churches in the UK, it was open for worshippers and those seeking a moment alone with God. I ventured in through the huge, heavy wooden doors, an effort just to open them and step inside. Inside, as I entered the sanctuary, I immediately sensed that the atmosphere, the ambiance, if you will, of the sanctuary was different. Gone were the hustle and bustle of the outside world. The myriad noises and sounds of everyday life were suddenly, effectively silenced. There was an eerie silence, actually, that descended on all of those who entered that building. I looked around. I was alone. No one else was in this vast sanctuary. And as is usually the case in these places, there were numerous stone coffins around the outside perimeter with rows of chairs arranged down the center of the church. Some of these coffins were dated from the 1700s. I noticed, too, that I was walking on time-worn stone tiles, many of which indicated that someone had been buried there beneath hundreds of years before. The place just reeked of history. But I couldn't get over the silence, silence so thick that you could almost feel it. My ears were ringing in the silence. My wife joined me at this point. We both slipped over to the chairs and sat down. Because of the palpable silence, we unconsciously tiptoed over to those seats, afraid, I guess, to disturb the silence of the place. Sitting there, we looked around and admired the fantastic beauty of the church. Its engraved pulpit, tremendous buttresses and curved sculptured arches most incredibly, the paintings on the ceiling and the art arranged all over the walls. I suppose that all was visible there that day was a testimony, really, to the God who was the center of worship in the building. Everything was geared to focus a person to consider life, not just life, but a life lived in a world designed by, ordered, and overseen by the God of creation. I was awed to think of the innumerable people who would have sat or stood in this very place over the hundreds of years that this building had stood there with the singular purpose of worshipping God. How many prayers would have ascended to heaven from this building through wars and periods of peace, invasions and victories, ordinary days and recessions, days of plenty, days of need? 
and now I sat there sharing the same space, worshipping the same God, the God who is the same in those yesterdays of the past, and he is the same today with us in the present and will be the same into the future. My reverie was startled. Something had changed, and I'll explain after our first song call.
My wife and I sat there enjoying the tangible silence in that lovely church, our thoughts focused on the history and the reasons for people who have worshipped there over the previous several hundred years, joined in purpose and around our God, when we were suddenly startled back to the present. It quickly became clear what had happened. What had disturbed our focus, broken the silence that had contributed to the solemnity and holiness of the moment in that church. Someone else had entered through those large, heavy doors. Another tourist, I wondered? A local, perhaps, who came to pray? Whoever it was tried to be quiet and reverent and respectful, like we did, except their effort was thwarted. They must have recently purchased new shoes, because as they tried to discreetly and quietly walk over to a chair, each step that they took resulted in a squeak. Their new shoes announced each step as they made their way to the nearest chair, resounding throughout the eerie silence of this building. It was actually amusing, because of the stark contrast and the assumed embarrassment that must have been felt by the newcomer. No matter how hard he tried, his shoes squeaked. Anyway, startled back to the press and our concentration broken, my wife and I took the opportunity to quietly slip away and resume our investigation of the rest of the village outside the church. Now, just before I leave you, let me mention the special meetings that will be held at Calvary Bible Church starting next Sunday. Starting with Sunday morning, the 40th Annual World Missions Conference begins at Calvary with special invited guests, experts on themes, and a renewed focus on the needs of the world in respect of the Great Commission given to us by the Lord before he returned to heaven. Won't you plan to join us on this special occasion? And on this broadcast next week, I'll share some of the exact details of the week with you. Now, with this message for today... Here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are studying the mysteries of the New Testament, and in particular, the mysteries of the kingdom as presented by Jesus in his parables in Matthew chapter 13. As we saw last week, verse 52 of this chapter is the key to the entire chapter. Jesus presents himself as the master of the storeroom that contains both new and old treasures of truth. We define the mystery as, a, as used by Jesus in the parable as a truth that was previously hidden but has now been revealed by God through his word. The mystery kingdom is the period that began with the rejection of Jesus by Israel as their king the first time he came to establish his kingdom on earth and the time he will return to finally establish it as a result of the acceptance of him at his second coming. The church age is a part of this interim mystery kingdom. It is called a mystery kingdom because this delay in establishing the kingdom was not revealed in the Old Testament. Jesus uses parables to teach the nature and history of this mystery kingdom. Through their use, he reveals the new truth of the interim kingdom to his disciples. But he also uses these same parables to conceal that truth from the unbelieving Jewish nation as a whole. In so doing, he also fulfills prophecy concerning his ministry. Today, we want to begin to look at the various parables and their meaning as it relates to the mystery form of God's kingdom on earth. 
And so we begin with the sower on the various kinds of soils, as Jesus teaches in verses 1 through 9. I encourage you to get your Bible and follow along. Turn to Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Quote, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. End of quote. Now that's the parable itself, the content of the parable. It contains new truths from the storehouse of the treasure of God's will. Jesus, the steward or manager of that storehouse, shares these truths with his disciples, those who believe in him as the Messiah King. But then he goes on now to provide the meaning of the parables to his disciples in verses 18 through 23. Again, I invite you to follow along in your Bible if possible. This is where Jesus explains the meaning of the parable of the sower. Verse 18, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. End of quote. Now here's the basic truth concerning this mystery kingdom taught in this particular parable. The interim period between Christ's first and second coming as the king of Israel will be characterized by the proclamation of the message of the kingdom and a variety of responses determined by the condition of the heart of the hearers. And thus, various degrees of spiritual productivity will result. God is the one who affects the germination of the seed, not the sower. Notice what Jesus says in Mark 4.26 concerning this. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. End of quote. Jesus is describing exactly what is happening in this period in which we live, where the word of God is proclaimed.
we cannot make the results. We cannot save anyone, as it were. The seed of the word is to be proclaimed. It is then implanted, embedded within the heart of the hearer. When that hearing is accompanied by faith, new life, regeneration occurs. And it is because of the act of action of God, not because of the preacher. But getting back to our text now, the emphasis Jesus is making here is the difference of receptivity to the message of the kingdom on the part of the hearers. There will be different results depending upon the preparedness of the heart of each individual hearer. Again, I say this principle holds today because we are a part of the hearers of the message in this interim period of the mystery kingdom. Our reception of the, of the message of God will be demonstrated by the way we live. But then Jesus teaches another parable. This time it is the parable of the weeds among the wheat in verses 24 through 30. Again, I read the word of God because we want you to hear the word of God and not the word of man. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. End of quote. Now, again, Jesus explains the meaning of this parable to his disciples in verses 36 through 43. So we don't have to guess the meaning. So let me read you then the exp explanation of this parable of the wheat and tears by Jesus Christ himself. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Notice he's only explaining it to his disciples. Verse 37, he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the evil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. End of quote. Now the basic truth taught here is that there will be a counter-sowing by Satan resulting in a false or counterfeit kingdom existing side by side with the true kingdom during this interim period. However, when Jesus returns, his angels or messenger servants will separate the false from the true subjects of the true kingdom. 
the false subjects will be ejected from the kingdom and consigned to eternal judgment. Jesus' emphasis here is to reveal the new truth of the coexistence of the false and true kingdom and the final judgment of the subjects and ruler of the false kingdom of Satan. This is new truth being taught to his disciples in this chapter. We're just giving an overview. We'll come back to this later on. But then, Jesus presents a third parable. This is the parable of the mustard seed in verses 31 and 32. Hear his words again. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and become a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Now, the meaning of this parable here is that Jesus is teaching that the mystery form of the kingdom will start slowly, but grow rapidly. Although small or local in its beginning, will grow and expand into a larger universal kingdom, one in which even those of the false kingdom will be a part. We may call this Christendom. And my friends, that's exactly what has happened, of course. The basic truth taught by Jesus here then is that there will be a rapid or extensive growth of the interim mystery form of the kingdom. This parable therefore emphasizes the visible expansion or growth of the kingdom of God in the time in which we are now living. But then he gives a fourth parable, the parable of the leaven or yeast in the dough in verse 33. This is what he says. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. End of quote. The meaning of this parable is that evil doctrine will permeate the proclamation of the true message of the kingdom, the flower, during the interim period of the kingdom, causing it to rise or to grow rapidly. But it will not be all good bread. Some will only be puffed up dough. In other words, it will have form without substance. The basic truth taught here is that the inner and invisible cause for the visible and outward growth of the interim kingdom, Christendom, is truth mixed with error. This results in a kingdom that is not as good or as large as it looks outwardly. In the words of the Apostle Paul, it will have a form of godliness, but denies the power of God in actual application. In other words, the emphasis is upon the insidious, hypocritical effect of false doctrine during this period. Jesus' words, of course, my friends, as always, have proven to be true. False teaching, propagated by teachers who tickle the ears of the hearers to benefit themselves, have caused a false growth in Christendom. Mixture of truth with error is germinated by the evil one and his followers to produce a multitude of followers who look, talk, and even act as wheat, but in actuality are tears sown by the master deceiver himself. This is the period in which we live, in which Jesus teaches about in Matthew 13. This, my friends, is the nature and characteristic of the mystery form of the kingdom. Now we will take up from this point next time. For right now, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things.
Savior comes from heaven, when His blessed face we see. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay Hold the fort a little longer In your struggle over sin Trust the great commander's promise He will surely come again happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment.